It's nice from technology. You know, adversity, we're going to talk about what Paul says about adversity. To have adversity kind of assumes an adversary. So the question becomes, who is our adversary? I'm going to ask you, who is our adversary? The devil himself. Um, I've really enjoyed the recent uh, sermons that Marty has been given in the book of Daniel. And this last one was particularly interesting. It's just fascinating. And the thread throughout history that he talked about this past week about the devil attempting, you know, in this, this cosmic play almost before creation, you know, challenging God. And then on earth, doing everything he can to prove God's wrong, that when God made promises, that they don't stick. And so when we think of, in the big picture, the adversary is certain, certainly the devil, Satan, the liar. Um, in N.T. Wright's book, uh, Paul for Everyone, that we're kind of using as we go through these sections, he talks a lot about Joseph and... Joseph, he certainly faced adversaries, adversity, adversity. I can't even say that this morning. Um, Joseph, Jacob's son, he had ten brothers. I wrote them down so I wouldn't forget them. Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, Zebulon, Dan, and Naphtali. I'm not even sure if I pronounced that right. Um, we all have stories. We all have family stories, and I hope that we take time around the tables to hear some of the family stories. Uh, Joseph had a family story, and it was probably one of the most intriguing families I've ever heard of. Um, We measured by the world's standards, his life was anything but the good life. Uh, First off, he had those messed up family dynamics with those 10 brothers that they were the jealous types, and being that his father loved him, they sought to destroy him. Um, they planned to eliminate their problem, to murder Joseph, and then his one brother Reuben said, whoa, 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 let's, let, let's just throw him in this pit, and you know, maybe I can come back and save him later, but we'll throw him in this pit. And then he ends up getting sold into slavery. We all know the story from there. At the end of the story, he's in a position of power and facing his brothers again. Um, but in the me- meantime there, uh, from slavery, he was thrown into prison on false charges, kind of like Paul when we think about it. Um, Yet he remained free of bitterness and regret, and he saw God as a great engineer that has orchestrated his situation. In the final confrontation with his brothers after the passing of Jacob, in Genesis 50-20, we read his response. As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good in order to bring about this present situation. So we're going to look at how the same concept plays out in Paul's life and what it might mean to us. In his letter to the church in Philippi, Paul is expressing these thoughts as we step through this. Please note that Paul, he is very focused. He clearly clearly delineates between those things that matter and those things that really don't matter. He recognizes that the advancement of the gospel is one of those things that matters. And it outweighs his present circumstance that he's in. 
he recognizes that his present circumstance may actually be being used by God as a causal factor for the advancement of the gospel, not a hindrance. His harsh reality did not damage his reputation. It didn't damage the standing of God's word amongst both believers and non-believers. And his endurance was an example for others. As one who understands how to keep his eye on what really matters, Paul brings forth a sense of joy in the midst of his present circumstance and his crisis and is writing to encourage others to do likewise. Let me pray again. Lord, as this letter begins with prayer and thanksgiving, we also pray you for completing the works that you begin. We pray to ask you that the love we have for one another and for those that you put in our sphere of influence grows and grows. We ask that you fill us with your spirit, your power, and that we can be a reflection of your righteousness to both believers and not yet believers. We give you all praise forever. Amen. All right, let's look, look at some text. Philippians 1, 12 to 18. Yeah, 12 to 14 up there. In this section, Paul continues his letter to the saints in Christ Jesus who are at Philippi by saying, I want you to know, brothers and sisters, that my situation has actually turned out to advance the gospel so that the whole imperial guard and everyone else knows that I am in prison for the sake of Christ. And most of the brothers and sisters, having confidence in the Lord because of my imprisonment, now more than ever do dare to speak the word fearlessly. Some, to be sure, are preaching Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do so because, I'm sorry, the latter do so from love because they know that I am placed here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely, because they think they can cause trouble for me in my imprisonment. What is the result? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is being proclaimed and in this I rejoice. Amen. All right, look, guys. Um, we get from the beginning of his letter that Paul often thought of the saints. He prays for them, and he wants them to know his situation, and his situation is bad. Um, he's in prison, but at the same time, his situation is good for the advancement of the gospel. Now, Joseph, as we were just talking about, could certainly relate when his brothers finally came to him, afraid that he would seek revenge after his father passed away, Joseph said, you meant evil, but God meant it for good to bring about this present situation. Paul wanted the believers to learn an important truth, and that truth is there are no accidents with God. Instead of Paul's ministry being sidetracked by his imprisonment, the gospel was being advanced. For the football metaphor, the chains were being moved down the field. Paul starts off verse 13 with a clause, hoste, that indicates there are results to his situation and the spread of the gospel. And he goes on to develop what two of those results are. The first is that outsiders know why Paul is imprisoned. The whole imperial guard and everyone else knows that I am imprisoned for the sake of Christ. 
Now, the palace guard was likely the praetorian guard made up of Roman soldiers. They were initially the household troops of the Roman um, emperors, and they served as bodyguards to certain generals. There were select soldiers who had approximately the same rank as centurions, and later, because of their position, they would be the center of intrigue within the growing empire. But in any case, whoever they were, the whole imperial guard now knows that Paul is in prison for the sake of Christ. Paul was, we know from Acts that Paul was either being held in a Roman building or under house arrest at this time. <coughs> There's some dispute about actually where he was, whether he was in Rome, in Ephesus, in um, Caesarea, um, but uh, there's something to be said for each of those views. The most common view is that he was being held in Rome. But it makes little difference. It makes little difference to how we understand this letter. It's not one of those important things. Wherever he was, he was with a soldier to guard him, we read from Acts. Jo Joseph Barber Lightfoot, Bishop of Durham, wrote that, according to Roman custom, he, Paul, was bound by the hand to a soldier who guarded him and was never left alone, day or night. As the soldiers would relieve guard in constant succession, the soldiers one by one were brought into communication with the prisoner of Jesus Christ, and thus he was able to affirm that his bonds had borne witness to the gospel throughout the imperial regiments. Paul was enchained for Christ, literally, and everyone who encountered Paul heard about Christ. They knew why he was in chains, why he was in prison. So the question is, can be the same be said about me and the same be said about you? Who is our captive audience, and have they heard the gospel? Just something to think about. In an effort to stymie the gospel, the Jewish authorities and leaders had Paul incarcerated, but their plan did not work. This goes back to who the adversary is. Paul's adversary was still the devil. The authorities wanted to stop his preaching. They got him put in prison. What they meant for evil, God meant for good. In his letter to Romans, Paul wrote that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. Others were certainly hearing the gospel. We will find before Paul closes this letter that he sends greetings from all the saints, especially those of Caesar's household. Now, we don't know if these were family members or if these were servants, but the point is the gospel is progressing. In his other letters to Colossian um, Ephesus, he asked believers to pray also for us that God may open to us a door for the word to boldly declare the mystery of Christ on account of which I am in prison. That was kind of the first result he talks about. Then he transitions to the second result. The second result is that believers are emboldened by his imprisonment. In verse 14, Paul writes, it's highlighted. Most of the brothers and sisters, having confidence in the Lord because of my imprisonment, speak the word fearlessly. Fearlessly. I don't think that the authorities anticipated that. Remember, Paul was in prison in Rome awaiting audience with the emperor after he appealed against charges brought by his religious enemies in Jerusalem. Now large numbers of believers became bold for Christ because of Paul's example. They saw how God was spreading the gospel through 
they saw how God was spreading the gospel through Paul, and it enabled them to speak more courageously and fearlessly for Christ. This was something that perhaps his preaching, apart from his current circumstances, may not have accomplished. This is something that God accomplished. Verses 15 through 18 speak of two groups who were emboldened. Some were some out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. Those who preached out of goodwill did so in love, knowing that Paul was himself imprisoned because of the defense of the gospel. Now, the word that's translated defense is the same word for 1 Peter 3.15, where it says, always being prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you. That's the defense he's talking about. It's that ability to explain not only the gospel, but how it took me from where I was to where I am, what God did. Peter goes on to say, yet do it with gentleness and respect. Those who preached out of envy and rivalry did so with what Paul calls a selfish ambition. They wanted to stir up for Paul, trouble for Paul while he was imprisoned. Some commentators believe that these were Judaizers. Those are the um, Christian Jews who attempted to impose a Jewish way of life on the Gentile converts. And these are, this is also a group that Paul formally um, opposed or continually opposed. Some commentators uh, disagree with that, that they're Judaizers and think that Paul was talking to um, believers for some reason just wanted to do Paul ill will. Now, their thinking is that because Paul rebuked the Judaizers for preaching a different gospel previously, and he didn't mention this in this letter, that maybe this is a different group, and it's left unknown why they would want to um, wish ill will on Paul. And then a third group believed that these were not Christians at all, but perhaps non-believers who, because of Paul's imprisonment, are spreading word of hey, have you heard about this guy that's in prison for Jesus Christ? And therefore, the gospel is also being um, advanced. Because he's not more specific, it was either known to his audience who he was talking about, or perhaps it just really didn't matter. This was not the main thing. What mattered to Paul was that Christ was being preached even though it was from wrong motives. Because the true gospel was going out, Paul rejoiced. In this I rejoice. The gospel is advanced. Outsiders are hearing it, and believers are speaking the word fearlessly. During that time, Paul had considerable freedom to advance the gospel. Paul had two callings, really, a public calling and a private calling. The public calling is what he's referring to here. Um, it's to preach the gospel. It's to reach the others. The public calling, or I'm sorry, the private calling was as a teacher, teacher to those reached. He spent time writing what we call these prison epistles, the letters from prison, in order to instruct believers who, on how they ought to be living. This is an example of his teaching. There's a lot of takeaways from these verses. Paul found that the gospel spread through those two means. First, he, was a cap he had a captive audience, so to speak. The whole imperial guard and everyone else knows that I am a prisoner for the sake of Christ. Again, 
be thinking, who is in your realm of influence who has not heard the gospel? Paul also found that others were emboldened to preach the gospel. So who might God use or who might God be emboldening by your faithful witness at home, at work, in the community? Finally, seeing that Paul's situation actually turned out for good says that I can accept the past. There's no sin, no action, no choice on my part that is too big for God to handle or too big to be worked out for the good. I can embrace the present. There's no need to play the what-if game that I like to play often. What if this situation was different? What if I made this choice? What if I didn't do that thing? The past is forgiven. It's gone. The future is in God's capable hands. So that leaves me free to focus on the present. And I, God wants me in the present because that's where his grace is to me. Consider Paul's circumstances when he's writing this letter. And I have to think, how can I dwell on perceived injustices that I've received instead of maximizing the opportunity that I have right here, right, right now? I can now look expectingly to the future. Even if I make mistakes today, even if I don't get it right today, God still controls the future. Walking in the Spirit I can live life to the fullest without dwelling on the past, knowing that even in our circumstances, God is in control. Even when things appear to be terrible, which I have to admit, things are not often this, this quality of terrible. But I can still trust that God is working out his divine plan for my life. I'd like to go back to the idea that God used Paul's situation to advance the gospel. I'll just talk about this real briefly. But God, you know, Joseph's story is one of those but God stories. Paul's story is a but God story, and our own stories are often but God. I was kind of a mess as a young man, as many young men are, but God. <laughs> There was a period in my marriage when things were not so well, but God. I've been faithful, I've not been faithful to my commitments, but God is faithful. I would certainly not be here today, but for God. We now know that all things God works out for the good of those who love him and who have been called according to his purpose. Therefore, Living in this grace, we don't have to live in the past. We can embrace the present and look to the future. We also know that we're called to advance the gospel. Mark 28, 16 to 20 records the Great Commission. Jesus said to his disciples, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given me. Therefore, as you go about your way, make disciples, baptize them, teach them all the things I've commanded you. And remember, I am with you always to the end of the age. So in light of all that, I'd like you to discuss a few things in your tables. How God has shown up in circumstances to turn what others may have intended for evil to good. We need these encouraging stories amongst ourselves. How can God use us as brothers to embolden each other to talk about Christ? And that ties into who is your captive audience? I need to think about that a little more. 
And who might God embolden through your faithful witness at home, working in the community, to be a stronger witness? And that's all I have. Go talk amongst yourselves.